Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. Dunn Street partners with businesses, organisations, unions and social democratic parties across the globe to develop community organising strategies and train leaders to build power from within their community. And in 2021, Dunn Street will continue to work with folks that want to share their stories, inspire others, take action and organise communities for change. To find out how you can partner with Dunn Street, hit us up at dunnstreet.com.au. And the... Uh, Socially Democratic is also presented to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Are you passionate about providing access to justice? Morris Blackburn, Australia's leading plaintiff law firm, is looking for a senior associate to join their TAC and work injuries team on a full-time permanent basis in their Dandenong and Ringwood offices. You will use your legal, technical knowledge and expertise to strive for fair outcomes for all of their clients. The role is based in free Melbourne, uh, and to apply, go to morrisblackburn.com.au forward slash careers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left politics and organising podcast that dives into the progressive campaigns and issues of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. We're at home today. We are speaking to the member for COGRA and the leader of the parliamentary party, in New South Wales. Chris Minns is on the show to talk about uh, his ascension to the leadership of New South Wales Labor um, and his approach to leadership and how they've been building a, uh, a strong profile in the lead up to the March 2023 New South Wales elections. So I had a very quick interview with Chris today and do appreciate um, him taking time out of his pretty busy schedule to come have a chat to us. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And if you like the show, let us know. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, um, on the app or on Podchaser. And for all the latest updates for the show, follow Dunn Street on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Okay, let's get to today's episode. Okay, we're taping this one on a Friday lunchtime in uh, Freedom Day in Melbourne. We've finally come out of our uh, lockdown for the second time, or our big lockdown. Um, so we're all out there celebrating that, although apparently we're not completely free, according to the uh, Victorian Liberal Party leader, Matt Guy. We're not free until we stop wearing our masks. So that was a bit of a killjoy. Thanks, Matt, for that. Um, but uh, joining on the line from Sydney is uh, another person that's just starting to enjoy their freedom as well as the member for Cogra, the leader for the New South Wales Labor Party in the state parliament, but more importantly, a, another product of the Morris Brothers education system. Chris Minns, welcome to Socially Democratic. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Not, uh, nice to see you. I'm very, I'm very well. Um, obviously, as I said before, uh, it's Freedom Day, uh, the sequel here in Melbourne, um, and obviously you guys have started to experience your uh, newfound freedom as well. How did you embrace your first days of, of uh, freedom coming out of lockdown in Sydney? Mm, I can't remember. It was a few weeks ago. I think I probably worked. Um, uh, but we did, my wife and I escaped to the pub and we had a, and we had a beer um, at, at our local, just sort of up around the corner. We call, I live in a place called Carlton, which is uh, the, the Sydney Carlton, which is not as famous as your Carlton, but yeah, that's where I went, just to the local Carlton pub. Nice one. It's been an eventful six months of uh, politics in New South Wales, lots of twists and turns. One of them was that you became the leader of your party. And I'm just interested in when you're considering putting your, 
your name forward for the Labor leadership, what type of leader did you envisage yourself to be for both the party and hopefully eventually for the people of New South Wales? Yeah, yeah, I actually put a... I think all of us in the Labor Party have put some time into that, particularly in New South Wales, because unlike you guys down there, we've been very un- unsuccessful going back a long time. The last time we won a state or federal uh, election was 2010, and the last time we won in this state was 2007. So we're really racking up loss after loss. And um, there was a, a big group of us and a real consensus that things had to change and we had to approach politics differently. I think we've probably been pretty good at ripping into the government, criticising them and um, pointing out weaknesses. We'd been less successful at, at explaining what we would do differently. And so if that if there's a sort of a, a guiding philosophy to be that, offer a choice at the next election, build some policy momentum and, and try and um, try and get people to vote for us, not just against them. Being in opposition during a global pandemic has proven to be a difficult proposition for to navigate, um, and we've seen some examples of, I guess, how not to do it, and the, I think I point to the Victorian Liberals um, as a great example of that. Um, and perhaps um, observing your leadership over the past five months, I feel like you've taken a more unorthodox approach to it, and there is certainly a, a tone of conciliatory or constructive approach to opposition is that intentional what's the what's the thinking behind this well a few things i mean the main thing that drove it was the pandemic and constantly um over the last two years people have been saying to me you know we want to put politics to one side and we've just all got to sort of tip in and get through this because it's such a horrible horrible time um and to an extent, and you'd know this, Steve, and everybody always says that, you know, less politics, more real people. But I think it was actually serious this time that there was particularly early in the pandemic, people didn't, or no one understood what the impact of COVID would be on the economy, on the health system for people's personal lives. And so it wasn't that difficult for us to say, well, we will tamp down on the politics. We'll give the government some space to make decisions. We won't criticise them in a reflexive manner and um, we'll, buy, we'll try and be constructive. So weeks, weeks, week after week after week, we would, um, rather than issue a media release condemning them for not doing something, we would say, hey, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? And after a while, they started taking our, our ideas and initiatives, little things like um, it started off with um, religious leaders not being able to give the last rights to dying members of their um, congregations. Um, so we got that order lifted. They could do it in a safe way. Then it, that ended up happening. And then it was translating health orders. Health orders, very big fines for people that don't comply with health orders in New South Wales. I assume it's the same in Victoria. But our big, big parts of our population that perhaps don't read or speak English well weren't aware of them. And there was 50 pages worth of orders. It wasn't being communicated. So we started doing it directly. We would translate it. We had, you know, it's like Labor Party all over the country. We've got people that speak pretty much the entire gamut of languages in the state. So we have people who would literally read out the health orders to their own communities and try and get the message out. Anyway, to cut a long story short, that was how we we approached it. We tried to be constructive, not just do nothing, 
but try and get the whole state through in our own small way this pretty horrible period. And how have you found the response to that approach from from the community in, in Sydney? And ha- has it been um, has it enabled you to um, s- set yourself out from the pack? I guess because you're a new leader and you kind of want to establish yourself. But have you found that people have gone, "Oh, this is interesting. This Chris means is, is, it, it's a different type of leadership we're seeing from him." Yeah. So, like uh, the 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 big sort of knock on it is that, um, well, two, two knocks. First thing is that Labor Party people are competitive. Um, we're good arguers. We're good debaters in, in generally, better than the coalition in my experience. And Labor MPs and members of, members of the party want to get into them. Um, and it's not like they've, they've run error-free. Um, you know, mistakes were made. So I thought that was a legitimate criticism of me from our own side, Um but, you know, I just felt that it was not a political crisis. It wasn't like the Whitlam dismissal of 75. It was a health crisis. Mm-hmm. So we had to be really sensible about how we navigated it. And I said, there's plenty of differences between us and the coalition. And there's plenty of time before the next election. So um, let's just do what we can do to get through it. And so that, that was a, navigating the first bit was fair enough. And then the second part of it was making sure that we got you know, exposure and airtime, which is the lifeblood of a political party and particularly in opposition. And that took a little bit more time, but um, I'd like to think that, <laughs> uh, you know, the quality of our ideas was strong enough that we ended up getting some, we get got, got good airplay and um, we were able to get them into the media. And I think we just didn't look like a ragtag group of people who were trying to wreck the state during a really horrible time. Mm. Maybe this is a metaphor for what um, your, I guess I'd call an unorthodox approach. Um, but it was really, uh, in, I guess, inspired by the initiative that you showed at the time when it was the height of the, the, the lockdown in Sydney and the then Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, was not going to do one of her, da- one of her daily 11am or 10.30 COVID press conferences. So you said, yeah. well, so I'll do one. And I think you were going to organise it for a, a couple of health professionals to stand up <laughs> with you. Next, once you've announced that, next minute, all of a sudden Gladys is ready to do a press conference and, 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 and turns up. What did that, observing the way that she responded to your initiative, what does that tell you about the priorities of the, of the New South Wales Liberal Government? Coalition yeah. Government? <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, it, look, it's hard to divine what their, what, what their uh, motivations are. I mean, it was a funny one. I just sort of was only informed like moments before the uh, 11 o'clock that the, the government was going ahead with their own press conference. So I was able to say, look, the whole reason I'm holding this is for them to go back to doing their 11 o'clock and mission accomplished. Um, yeah, look, it's one of those funny, funny skirmishes in, uh, in politics. What does it say about them? Um, I've been pretty, look, I've been pretty, uh, uh, laudatory is not the word. I've been, I've given the former Premier a lot of um, credit, not necessarily for every decision that was made, but um, even from opposition you could tell that it's a hothouse environment. Everybody's got skin in the game. The criticism was extremely tough and she had worked out with the Chief Health Officer, Kerry Chant, a sensible way through a horrible period. And um, I just sort of came to the conclusion that um, what, you know, if, if even if they're your political opponent, if you've kept the majority of people safe during a really tough period, maybe we should give her a, a, 
And that's what we did. And even when she resigned, I put a statement out and made sure the party agreed to it that, uh, you know, this, this, I don't, I'm not going to comment on the corruption inquiry, but her tenure during the COVID pandemic was uh, dogged and, and she worked extremely hard, which again is unusual for an opposition, but Stephen bugger it, you know, like we're, we're, I think there's a different way of approaching politics and we'll see how it pans out. But I think it's working for us, for my sensibilities and where we want to take the Labor Party. I think one of the things that I've noticed, certainly in the experience here in Victoria, is that the, the, the pandemic has put a lot of pressure on the community and the cohesiveness of the community. And I think I, feel, I think back to um, March, April last year when, when we first, when the pandemic first reached our shores, uh, a lot of people were very... Um, communal and supporting each other and we sort of saw a lot of um, you know like um, um, apartment buildings where whatsapp groups were being formed and people were looking out for each other and and that continued across the life of the 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 pandemic but certainly you know lockdown after lockdown and and all the health measures and restrictions and whatnot really started to put a bit of pressure on the community witnessing what was going on in sydney and i'm really keen to get your insights on this because you know I'm, I'm not i'm not up there but you can only read what you sort of see in the papers and on and through the media that there seemed to be a bit of a divide that was happening across metropolitan sydney between um the eastern suburbs and the western suburbs how stark was that divide um and if it was the case i mean is the city i don't want to say the word healing but i mean is it are people sort of coming back together again now that you're coming out of this really really difficult period for the for the state and for the city in itself yeah well i mean this was the thing that um you know in terms of uh being constructed this is where it really had its limits and the limits it had was in the end the government made a decision to put more restrictions on what they called 12 local government areas of concern um now those 12 local government areas account for about two million people there's about five and a bit million people in sydney so you know you're looking at um, a big proportion of the population were under tougher restrictions and it was things like worker permits to leave those local government areas a curfew at nine o'clock at night um, enhanced policing measures uh, low-flying helicopters in in parks um, and um those measures were put in place because the government insisted that those communities had higher numbers of case cases but it, it kind of required a suspension of this disbelief because y- you would have to believe that COVID could cross the entire world but it couldn't cross a street mm. and after a while after a week or so of these enhanced measures it became clear that there were a whole bunch of other areas in metropolitan sydney that weren't part of the 12 local government areas that had much higher case numbers but the government refused to slap tougher restrictions on them and i think everyone will put up with a lot but they won't put up with unfairness particularly at a a serious crisis like we've just seen um and on top of that after a while the economic data started to come in and we saw 70 percent drop in turnover in western sydney local government areas in businesses in those communities whereas there'd actually been an increase in the turnover in places in the eastern suburbs because the CBD was hollowed out. People were, were working from home. Um, there was an, a, a lack of understanding from the government that the majority of people that live in Western Sydney don't have home offices and they can't work from their study. They work in retail, transportation, logistics, or their frontline workers, their public servants who are police officers, fire, firefighters, or, or, or paramedics. And it wasn't an option for them to work from home. And so all of this data kept accumulating, indicating that 
in addition to just the stigma of being in Western Sydney and being under lockdown. And I represented a, an electorate that was part of the lockdown community. People were just going wild about it, mm. you know. Uh, we'll put up with a lot, but there's got to be fairness. So uh, at some point, at one point, we just came out and said, look, this is ridiculous. You have to lift the curfews. You can't have half the city living under curfew and the other half not. Um, and, you know, the government attacked us for being political and then two days later they did it. Mm. So, um, yeah, a complicated situation, but um, I was unsurprised that they went down that road because, in a sense, their decision to split the city into two and, and apply tougher restrictions to Western Sydney was a feature, not a bug. It wasn't a decision made out of the clear blue sky. It's really been the intent of the government over a long period of time, whether it's school infrastructure, whether it's transport, whether it's population growth numbers, primarily focused on Western Sydney. Most of the new infrastructure, particularly public transport infrastructure, has been built in the east and the north. And um, we've, we've been talking about it pretty much incessantly ever since. Now that you're coming out of uh, this lockdown and um, heading into the summer and hopefully, um, and you know, certainly the, um, the vaccination, vaccination uh, rates that are coming out of New South Wales are fantastic. Um, and hopefully we're living, uh, moving into this kind of, you know, post-COVID um, period. What's your, what's Labor's focus now for the people of New South Wales? Where do you want to focus your attention on uh, communicating a, a vision or a plan of how New South Wales can look post-COVID? Yeah, look, a couple of things. Uh, we need to make sure that, you know, there's there's not two Sydneys and two New South Wales, that we really are all in this together and that if everybody pays their taxes, they deserve the infrastructure and the service delivery and the outcomes that other parts of the state deserve. And um, uh, you're seeing, you know, it's a funny thing, but for a while there, senior Liberal and National Ministers were happy to jump up and say, yeah, we pork barrel. Everybody pork barrels. What are you talking about? That's what great local members do. And I think it kind of dawned on them that people were outraged by this because, I mean, no one willingly hands over half their income to the state and Commonwealth government, but you do it, and at the very least you expect that money will be spent based on need, not based on... Um, you know, the whims of some political party. So they're rapidly backtracking now and saying, oh, no, actually, we are all in this together. But I'll just make the point, Stephen, that, you know, for for 15 weeks during the lockdown, we didn't hear we're all in this together too much. And then the day the curfews were lifted and the restrictions were eased, now we're all back into, um, uh, you know, one city. It's all, it's all normal. Now, um, you didn't see any rioting. You didn't see smashed windows. You didn't see protests from um, the two and a half million people that live west of Parramatta. But that's because they just get on with it. They're entrepreneurs, small business people. They work their asses off. And that's not the way, that's not what their interests are. Their interests are getting on with their lives and earning money, getting ahead, making sure their families um, can get ahead as well. But I suspect I'll remember come election time that this is a government that didn't have their back when they needed it. Um, you've got a new uh, premier now, um, and so I'm wondering what, um, when you're thinking about how you're going to contrast yourself with, with your opponent, um, for a while there you're having to contrast yourself with Gladys Berejiklian now that you've got uh, Dominic um, uh, Perrottet. How are you setting yourself up to contrast both, you know, your, the party... So Team Blue versus Team Red, but also yourself as a leader against this new this new Premier. What's the contrast that you're trying to pitch to the people of New South Wales? Yeah, it's a 
good question. Um, and in some ways, uh, you know, it's a work in progress because you do change the leader, you change the government, the, the, the way the government works, it's priorities, it's orientation towards things that come up every single day. Um, I mean, on a personal level, I've, I've known him for a long time and I really like him and we're friends, but, um, obviously we think we do, we can do a better job than he, he is doing and would do for the state. So what we would say is pretty simple. You had Gladys Berejiklian, who was a tough person to beat. She was a consensus person. She listened to a wide range of views. Um, and she sort of had a common sense approach to public policy. Didn't agree with a lot of it, but that was her orientation towards running the state. Got a different kettle of fish now. He is a very hardline economic conservative. He's privatised billions and billions of dollars worth of public assets. Um, just two weeks ago, in the middle of the pandemic, they privatised the toll roads in Sydney. You know, people are paying, we're the most tolled city on the face of the earth. Billions of dollars will be collected, particularly from Western Sydney. It says that we had a review from Western Sydney councils indicating that people in the northwest are paying about seven grand a year Jesus. in tolls, which is more than the quantum on average that they would pay in taxes to the state government. So more in tolls than taxes. Um, and, you know, he's somebody that believes uh, in tightening the screws on people to, to make it uh, all work. And I think and I suspect that a big number of people believe that tolls are up, taxes are up, fines are up, charges are up. Privatisation has resulted in the biggest net debt position the state's ever seen. We are on track for that even before anyone had heard of Wuhan or COVID or the pandemic, and um, I think we need a different approach to politics, economics, and making sure that, in particular, working families in New South Wales can get ahead. I noticed that uh, your when you became leader and you announced your new sh uh, shadow team, there's certainly a fresh, youthful, diverse look about it. Um, um, it it's someone I was speaking to uh, a colleague of mine, a Labor colleague of mine, up in New South Wales during the week. Uh, and he said it sort of has like a new Labor vibe about it. Like there's a freshness to it that's quite invigorating. Um, how you know? Talk to me about how deep your team will back compared to that of the your opponents in government. Yeah, well, I mean they've been in for a long time, and I guess their pitch would be, look, we've got the experience to get it done, and you know you you, you don't want to uh, hand the hand the government over to somebody else. But I think it's an experience that's really rooted in. Uh, a particular philosophy that isn't isn't suited for the next 50 years and one yes we don't have many people that any or maybe one or two that were involved in the previous Labor government so we're all brand new but um, that comes with a freshness not just in terms of energy and on an individual basis but in terms of policy ideas and direction and that will be our big advantage that we are in uncharted waters in terms of where our economic growth will come from, where employment will come from over the, not just the next couple of years, but the next 50 years. And it will require that kind of dynamism and freshness to get the state moving. And um, I think that we've got it and they don't. Again, their, their whole idea is really rooted in this sense of, um, in this real sense of um, tightening the screws and, and selling off what you can. Um, now that results in, initial capital coming into the government, but it's really put everybody at a disadvantage over the longer run. So I think it could be an advantage for us, but I'm really aware that it's a steep hill for us to climb. Uh, the seats we need to win are really tough. They're, they're located in Tiger Territory for us, and uh, we haven't won for a long time. So, <laughs> so we've got to create that culture.
I mean, I could be my um, positivity could be misplaced here, but I, I you know, if, if someone had said to me that Labor were in a chance, had a chance of, um, you know, winning the, the the New South Wales state election in March 2023, if you'd asked me that maybe back at the start of the year, I would have said, oh, you know, I, you know, I want to check what you're smoking, but. The events of what's happened in the last six months, both you know a, a change of leadership in the in in your party and a change of leadership in the government, I just feel like there's and the way that they've handled the the outbreak, I just feel like there's a couple of cracks in that liberal wall that's starting to appear, um, and I think there's a positivity about what the future holds for you guys. I think there's a bit of hope now. Is that a sense that is amongst both your team, your your caucus team, but also the party faithful in, in general? Yeah, I mean, look, I can't speak for all of them, but um, my sense is that oftentimes in politics it comes down to who's hungrier, you know, which which team, which political party is going to fight for the votes that's going to put in the extra hours, go to the extra function, get up early to do radio and, and really put your shoulder to the wheel in terms of policy development. Um, and I would... I would say that we're hungrier than the government is, and that's natural. They'll be asked, they'll be in for 12 years. They'll be asking for 16 years. There's that old saying that governments should be changed as often as um, babies' nappies, and for the same reason. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think look, we, we're, we're the underdog. We've got a long way to go because we've come from a long way back, but we're slowly building. And I think that the foundations of whatever progress we've made have been about us really not just trying to tear them down mm. oftentimes if you just focus on reducing the government's vote and kicking the premier and kicking the government well maybe the vote will splatter all over the place you know minor parties clive palmer one nation the shooters i've really tried to say well what's labor got to offer you know in terms of personnel and ideas and let's just start trying to layer on voters to our brand and our party and try and recruit people for us and not just against them well, it's um, it's important work because we need a we need a Labor government in New South Wales, and also we need some more seats coming out of New South Wales for the federal election as well. So, we, uh, Chris, means we wish you and your team the best of luck in the coming months. Um, I hope you have a great break over the Christmas. I know it's, it's still a while away, but um, um, and you guys are rejuvenated for a big year next year. So, thanks very much for your time on the show. Legend, Stephen. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Socially Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcast or Podchaser. And to get all the latest on Socially Democratic, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday.